Hey students, we did it. We made it to 10 episodes. Woohoo! Thank you to everyone who has subscribed and who has shared feedback and reviews. It really means a lot to me that you all enjoy the show. My guest this week is the wonderful Melissa McGlinsey from the Orange Cohort. The second one, not the first one. More on that in this episode. We also talk about comedy in Australia, underappreciated TV comedy shows, and the roles women play in comedy. Enough of this. On with the show. So I know there's there's orange and there's original orange. Do you, so you guys do you have a like specific shorthand name that you go with? S- well, some people call us Orange Seventeen because we started in 2017. Okay. I like Orange the reboot. Mm-hmm. Um, I also enjoy the remix. <laughs> um, remix implies that you took people from past <laughs> yeah, Orange and just like rearranged their names or orange something like that. Orange the Redux is good. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I'm into it. Anything that makes it sound like we're new and improved, because that really makes them mad. Redux <laughs> is one of those words that I see it written out. I can't. It's just weird to say. Like I, yeah. I see it written places for for different things that it makes sense, but I don't know. I, I thought it was pronounced redo. I did too for it's a like long French time. French or something. Yeah, kind of like Bordeaux or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, but eh, whatever. Um. But yeah. So how did you uh how'd you end up here? Ooh. Okay. Interesting story. I was living in Australia from 2016 to 2017. What was that for? Um, It was kind of a mixture of things. It was like a quarter life crisis trip slash the man I was seeing moved there. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a lot of stuff. Yeah. Basically, I was a journalist living in New York at the time and I hated my job and I wanted to do more comedy. And I so I quit and I moved to Australia for a year. Okay. Basically a quarter Because that's, that's where comedy translates yeah. to, is Australia. <laughs> well, you know, it was one of the few, like, really foreign places I could go that, like, I could still do comedy in English. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went. And yeah. I was living there and teaching improv, performing improv, doing a bunch of stuff, um, stand-up as well. And then my visa was, like, going to come to an end in many months. Mm-hmm. And a very good friend of mine and kind of comedy mentor... Uh, Dave, Dan, Dan Pavidich, mm-hmm. um, in Australia, like mentioned the school and said, like, if he were in America, that's what he'd be doing. And I hadn't even heard of it. Yeah. So I looked it up and I was like, yeah, I want to do this. And so I applied and then, um, I heard back and I was originally supposed to be a green because I heard back and Julie was like, great, you start in May. And I was like, I'm still in Australia. I'm going to have to defer that. <laughs> so I deferred for several months to like get my life in order. I did the same thing. I, I know, because you were supposed to be in my cohort. Yeah, way yeah. back when. So it was orange. I mean, there's... I, I got in a while back, but I had just gotten a new job, and so I just kept on pushing it back. Yeah. Like, orange was the one that I sort of committed to and then had to back out. Yeah, so you were going to be an orange, not a red? Uh, I think I was going to be orange, yeah. Well, you would have been one of us. Yeah, womp womp. But I'm in cyan. Yeah, n- nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's not <laughs> as good as orange, but uh, which orange? <laughs> <laughs> the Redux, the Remix Edition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nah, science cool. Uh, so, did you pick up any of the accent while you were there? My God, I wish. It's like shameful that I spent that much time there. And the only thing I can say in a slight Australian accent is incredibly vulgar. How PG are we keeping this? And none. <laughs> okay, I can say "Oi, you cunt," <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> Classy. <laughs> yeah. In Australia, they love that word. They use it everywhere. Yeah. It's, it, there's different swears for different parts of the, yeah. of the world. Like, um, 
what they call cigarettes in the UK. Yeah. Uh, and Although, do they still do that? I think I so. Know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, somebody probably still does. Yeah. Just like people still <laughs> use terrible yeah. shit around the US, too. Yeah. <laughs> no, I tried to pick up an Aussie accent. I even c- tried to convince my friends to teach me, and they couldn't. And it's a bummer, <laughs> but I picked up a lot of other accents. Because while I was there, I was in this... Um, a bunch of different like genre improvised troops mm-hmm. and one of them was improvised Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn how to do every conceivable type of British accent. <laughs> you know, because like I'd have the Cockney and the Right, because you uh, never know if someone's gonna endow you as Hermione or Hagrid. Yeah. And you have to be able to do both. And then on top of that, um like French, yeah. if you're gonna be Flora Delacour and like all these other ones. So I could do all these other accents, but not <laughs> Australian. Improvised Harry Potter. That's got to be fun. It's super fun. In fact, I'm going to teach a workshop on how to do it soon. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Have you done that show here at all? No, I haven't. Have you done any improv in Chicago since you've been here? Yeah, yeah. I was doing conservatory for the first two sessions, Mm -hmm. and then it was just too much on top of school. And, in fact, I met with Matt Hovde, and he was like, you were the only one who has attempted to do conservatory at the same time as film school. Yeah. So I took a hiatus from that. Um, I auditioned for level three, got in, and it's just on pause. Mm -hmm. I'll do it eventually. And then I'm thinking about taking a class at The Annoyance Mm -hmm. because I'm really fascinated by their philosophy. Mm -hmm. And then I've done some, like, little workshops here and there. But, yeah, not a ton. Not a ton, yeah. Uh, did I see you got into DCM? I did. Congrats Not with the Harold Ramis team, which is sad. It happens. Yeah. I, my my duo didn't get in really? um, for like I think second or third time we've submitted for it. So it's really hard for American teams. It is, especially for duos. That's yeah. the other thing. Like everybody, duos, duos are know. the easy ones to apply, and so they're the easy ones to get right, rejected right. too. And um, the team I got in with is my Australian team, actually, mm-hmm. which is I performed with an Australian team at DCM last year too, and like. Mm-hmm. Not that my team is not talented, because they are, but international people are like a shoe-in. Yeah. So when they were like, we're applying, I was like, I want to perform. And they were like, of course. Some of them are, are my former token? students. Are you the token I American? Am. <laughs> I am. Yeah. No, but they're great. Some of them are my former students. Um, some of them are like now the faculty at the school I was teaching at when I was there. It's cool. It's amazing just watching people in the improv community kind of come up over time. It's really um, beautiful. My yeah. my troop back in D.C. went from, like, all of us being in. We actually formed out of my level three class at mm-hmm. uh, Washington Improv Theater mm-hmm. and um, and just kind of stuck it out as an indie troupe the entire time mm-hmm. uh, up. And all of us just kind of wound up spreading out and getting involved in other things. So we have... Uh, you know, somebody that was on a house team, multiple people that were on Herald teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had uh, like special projects. In fact, one of my teammates I just found out is going to be directing one of the the improvised vag- vagina monologues. Oh my uh, god! For the third run next year, she's going to be taking that over. That is a show um, out of my dreams. Yeah, I would love to do. <laughs> it's that. it's epic. It's so funny. Wow. Uh, but uh, but yeah, and and so it's it's interesting just to see that like we were laughing because um, me and two i think at least two maybe three of my tre- troop mates are all in the advertising for the last big show run that they did so we're plastered across oh, the front of the great. of the signs and i'm so i had them mail me some posters and stuff uh, like that with the photos and everything oh you never but, forget your first team mm. there my team lasso shout out to lasso was my new york indie team and we're all still really good friends yeah. but we all kind of i moved away a lot of them started doing other stuff yeah 
um, my friend Topher, uh, who's an improviser back in D.C., was actually on a troupe with Rory Scovel back when he was in D.C. And he posed. Uh, he's in the new I Feel Pretty movie with... Uh, um, uh. Uh, with uh, uh, Amy, with Schumer, Amy Schumer, Amy yeah. Bryant, yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Um, so uh, and he's a stand-up comic, and he's been kind of slowly rising in, in you know the world of popular popularity. But he was on a troupe with uh, with Topher, and Topher's like, yeah, we we all just put together a showing of all the original members that are still in DC, and That's went great. to go check it out uh, as as a group. It's like, yeah, go Rory. That's fine. <laughs> Which How is long so have cool. you been doing improv for? Um, I've I've been doing it actively for. I guess three years at this point in time. Yeah, cool. But I've been around the community for longer than that. Because mm-hmm. so I, I, when I was in um, D.C., I started making short films and stuff like that. Wound up meeting a friend of mine, um, uh, Brianna Lux, who came in and uh, became my producer for a lot of the stuff that I was doing. She started taking improv classes well before I did. So mm-hmm. she's been doing it for six or seven years, I think, at this point in time. Uh, and so she started bringing in her improv friends yep. into our production. So I've been around the people and seeing the shows and stuff like that for years. And, and eventually I just got to the point where I'm like, I'm just going to go take classes and yeah. kind of figure out what this is about. Like mostly so I could learn to direct improvisers because mm. they, it, they think differently than actors. It's, yeah. it's a, uh, you're, you're putting on a character in a different way. You're, mm. you know, finding a physicality or a voice or something That's like true. that. And, and so it's, mm. it's easier to work with them in some ways and harder to work with them in others. And so, mm. I feel like improvisers wear their characters more loosely mm-hmm. than actors, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like you're putting on a new character every like scene. Right. Actors, it could be like months in this one character. It's tough to find the improvisers that can dig deep into a character and like carry it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, a, I mean, case in point, like Stephen Colbert to do the, the you know, the, the uh, conservative news reporter shtick thing for. Oh, that's not a shtick. <laughs> that's who he is. <laughs> Yeah, and we can all see that on his CBS show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's fun to watch his show now because I feel like it's everything he was thinking and feeling while trapped inside exactly. Colbert. <laughs> Although I feel like as Colbert it. went on, he he just let more and more of that leak out. Yeah, like, true. <laughs> his character became less cracks and less in the facade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> became a little more obvious. Yeah, but um, so what? Is it, who are your influences coming in? What uh, hmm. what kind of stuff uh do you? watch out there that you would love to make something like that or do you mean in film do you mean comedy in general so my dream job is at full frontal with sam b okay she's my hero i love colbert john stewart you know i Mm. love like very political topical humor um so and i'm a diehard feminist so it was just like sam b's show is my beacon of hope but um, in terms of stand-up, I'm, I'm trying to do more stand-up lately. Mm-hmm. I've been doing it for a few years, but, like, very sporadically. Yeah. I love Mike Birbiglia. I love storytelling. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm more interested in that form of stand-up than the, like, punchline, punchline, punchline type stuff. Um, in terms of shows, like, okay, I've been talking about this with everyone. Have you seen Review with Andy Daly? Yes. You are one of the few. Yeah. It's like the greatest show that nobody's ever seen. <laughs> it's <laughs> I it's one of those I I just always feel bad for. Him. Yeah. <laughs> he creates this this uh this character that's just so kicked by the world right. and it's like just Wally. so positive despite the world around them. Yeah, it's that thing that like Disney has perfected like take a likable character and just torture them for hours. <laughs> It's like Wally. It's like whatever Zootopia. I guess you know. They do that with Woody in Toy Story. Yeah, they do that. Yeah, I guess that 
torture them. It's a thing they do, but I think review is a master class in like three act structure, first mm. of all. Second of all, like callbacks, not just in an episodic sense, but like as a series arc. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm obsessed with it. And only like two people in my cohort have seen it and I bring it up all the time. My my thing like that is shrink. Uh I'm pushing that one really, really I hard. I've seen that. I didn't see. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, it was uh Tim Baltz uh from Chicago area here, improviser, and he it's all shot in Chicago. Like people that still work here at Second City, um, uh, like Claudia Wallace are in it. Yeah. Uh and uh, uh um Oh, did she talk about this at her talk? She might have. Yeah. She might have brought it up. I I, I I don't. I don't actually. I don't think she did because I. I wanted to. Um, because uh, I. I was very in, into the show and I don't remember her mentioning it. Mm-hmm. Like I. I watched that AP Bio show on and on NBC Online, the one with um, uh, what's his face from um, Always Sunny, uh, Glenn, um, Glenn Howerton. He's got a new show. Uh, and it's pretty terrible i was really <laughs> not a fan but while i was watching like the first couple episodes since it's online the only thing that airs for the commercials are like one commercial and then one thing that nbc right. advertises for something mm-hmm. else and all those ads were for shrink and uh and i so i just like oh, i'll go check this shrink show out watch one episode mm-hmm. and it's epically funny because they do like all the stuff in his life that you're seeing throughout the story is scripted Mm-hmm. But all these sessions that he's doing where he uh, uh, are completely uh, improvised with Chicago improvisers that's cool. and a couple of New York people like um, John Lutz is in there from 30 Rock. Yeah. And but uh, but yeah, it's TJ and Dave both have separate characters in there. Dummy is in there as a, as a duo, as a couple. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just it's hysterical. Well, um, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's another one. that, But it's the same thing. It's like the one Nobody's thing that I'm like, it, yeah. this is amazing. Go watch it. Like, see what I'm seeing. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. I don't know. That's the golden age of film but there's so or sorry of television mm-hmm. but there's so many options it's nuts like it's good stuff is just falling through the cracks all the time well and there's those shows that you could get like sucked into for that are terrible yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know it's really interesting to me like i just recently watched an entire season of a show that the whole time i was like this isn't good but i watched it what was it i can't i can't say okay it was um easy oh really yeah, I haven't watched it, but I've I've heard good things about so it. So it's not terrible, but it's not great. Yeah, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, this isn't great, but I'm still watching it. What's the for- is the format kind of like high maintenance, where it's it's uh like different vignettes every not episode? At all. No, okay, I heard something I'm think- about that. I think yo, you're right. I'm thinking of something else. I'm thinking of love. Oh, you didn't like love? Yes. Oh, okay. I liked um, love. Easy, I liked. Okay. Love was, I felt like they were, this season, they were kind of like searching for an ending. This season was better, but the first season, I don't know. And it's not that it's bad. It's just not great. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. I feel like we live in this day and age where it doesn't have to be great to be successful. You no. just got to, if you're just, if it's not so terrible that you change the channel or whatever, close your browser. Yeah. Then you watch it. Yeah. It's a low how bar. To, how to how to how to get above that bar? That's the trick. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> apparently it doesn't matter if you do mm-hmm. look at review, look at shrink, like these shows yeah. that are excellent. Nobody's heard of them. Yeah. Well, and I'm I'm hoping I'm crossing my fingers that shrink gets a season two. But I mm-hmm. found out apparently they shot it like three years ago, oh, and really? it's just been kind of sitting on the shelf uh, for that whole time. And it was supposed to go on CISO, 
then CISO folded. Yeah. And it ended up um, kind of in limbo. And then NBC swooped in and I guess bought up the rights to a bunch of old CISO content. Mm. And so they, they ended up with that and I think one or two other properties from them. Mm. Uh, but uh, Interesting. Yeah. Doesn't look good, Ben, for your <laughs> prospects. <laughs> I have my fingers crossed because uh, so I just bought a new camera the other day, mm-hmm. uh, not new, but uh, from through Craigslist, and mm-hmm. the guy that I uh, wound up buying it from worked on worked on the show. Uh, he was a, a set dresser for uh, for Shrink, <laughs> so he's supposed to. He promised me he was going to send me uh, a script from it because he's got a script still left over. I'm just interested in how they put the show together. Yeah. But I have to watch it. I will definitely watch it now. Yeah. I'll watch anything with Dave Pasquazi in it. Yeah. He's hysterical. Did you go for the talk? I did. Uh, the other day? I was front row. Nice. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, He's so good on Veep. Yeah. So good. Veep's funny. I I didn't get into it real early, so I feel like I'm, I'm always kind of... Every time I watch an episode, there's... It's like um, uh, 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 Arrested Development, mm-hmm. where there's so much stuff kind of going back to day one that if you don't start from the very beginning, like you're missing a good chunk. Yeah, I always feel like that's true. I would. Yeah, I agree with that. Like there's some, there's some uh, uh, shows that you can watch that um, you can jump into any given episode and you've got all the information yeah. that you need, but that is not necessarily one of them. No. And I don't think I like shows like that as much. Mm-hmm. I think I like shows where like this character has a shtick and every time they do it, you're like, ugh classic jonah or you know like and you may not get that if you're just diving in somewhere there was do you watch uh um uh uh, silicon valley i used to okay i watched like the first season and a half or something okay there's a there was a ross line in last or there was ross line in like season one uh the he was the uh, or not ross russ uh the the investor like the rich investor Mm um (laughs) for uh um for one of the guys, he was like, "This guy fucks," and like that—that that was uh, that was his, that. yeah. Yeah. And then so, <laughs> that became uh, a thing. Yeah, it became a thing. Yeah. And, but then it kind of went away because he did it like twice in that first season. Then he was gone the second season. Then he came back third season. And there's a joke about halfway through where, um, where, uh, uh the character walks back out and Camille Nanjiani, um, uh, says something like, "Russ was right." Like that's all he says. <laughs> But it's such a minor reference, and I'm like, that is amazing. Yeah. You called that back with just, like, one little line. And if you hadn't seen season one, that line makes no sense. Run. But it's hysterical if you have seen it. Wow. And that's – I'd love to make that kind of stuff where you can just layer things yeah, on top. Yeah, me too, me too. Like, bit People by bit. People love callbacks. We were just talking about this the other day. People go fucking ape shit for them. Yeah, it's Even amazing. Even if they're not good or don't make sense, people are like, oh, they're doing the thing they did earlier. <laughs> Like that's amazing. They remember things yeah, too. Yeah. They have a memory. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So what kind of stuff have you been making since you've been here? Uh, you mean film wise? Yeah. So I really like sketch. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm like more of a premer based premer premise based humorist. Mm-hmm. I think. Um. So I've made a couple like sketchy stuff. I've done a few sketch shows and written a few sketches. So. I'm trying to be more narrative in the stuff I make because that's not what comes as naturally to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of my stuff is political or feminist or body positivity based. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a first term project on like the scene is like two women at a party and one of them is me. And another is like a friend of mine who's mm-hmm. gorgeous. And 
like my character slowly gets trampled by the men who like come to crowd around and talk to my friend. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I just realized I like to make really kind of self-deprecating stuff. Yeah. Like my session two final is about how much I cry. <laughs> like I cry way too much. Just have like overactive emotions. And so it's about like a a bank set like an imaginary bank mm-hmm. and I my character goes to like make a withdrawal of emotions and they're like no you're overdrawn mm-hmm. and then it's like reading a transaction history of all the things I've spent my emotional capital on over the last week which are just <laughs> like cutaways to me crying over stuff <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do my final on yet. Yeah. Which actually has me panicked because I feel like everyone else already knows. Did they not have you pitch it? Like, so they had us pitch term threes already. What? Yeah. So I've, I have pitched a term three that I'm now who trying to wrap my brain Dale around. Vince? Dale. That's why. Okay. I hear that people who have Dale pitch stuff sooner. Mm-hmm. We did give Vince a draft at the end of session one, but mm-hmm. like... Nobody really is using that. Maybe a few people, but that was just like a get something down. Mm-hmm. Are you gonna think you're gonna use that one? It's something that I've I've actually wanted to shoot it for a while, mm. but it's very technical and mm. very nerdy, and I kind of need like people who are willing to slog through stuff with me. Um, I'm sure you can find that here. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of a, a live action take of uh, it's an old Looney Tunes uh, um, cartoon called nice. Duck Amuck. <laughs> where the animator winds up getting in a battle with uh, Daffy Duck and like repainting him in different situations Whoa, and stuff like that. That's cool. But it's going to be the actor and the editor um, cool. getting in a fight, and so and just the things that the editor can do to this actor that's in a in a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, it's hysterical to sit and write because I have to basically write like three lines and then stop and think for 10 minutes <laughs> like, can i make that all right how do i transition that into something else how That's do i make funny. that transition work how do i you know mm-hmm. i'm literally like shooting it in my head and producing it in my head as i'm writing it just to be able to make it something that i can actually put together because i don't want to you know story myself into a corner yeah or i can't get it get back out so um if I don't make it for term three i, I still want to make it still at some point in time it. but it's it's uh it's a brain bender and that's smart to like know that you should write something that's executable because mm-hmm. I made that mistake. I wrote a script I really liked, but the whole thing took place on a city bus. And I'm just like not about to go through the ordeal that will involve getting a city bus, like getting all the extras I'm going to need to fill that, mm-hmm. like getting someone to drive the bus. So It's stupid expensive, too. Yeah. Uh, have you looked in the, I've looked in the um, Chicago, the MTA, mm-hmm. like to get a to get a train? And it's like $500 for the application fee. Whoa. Let alone then what they charge you for actually using it. So Yeah. <laughs> I know people have just sneakily shot on trains yeah. without it. but That's, that's yeah, guerrilla style for, for most stuff. Yeah, but. but like my entire script was set on the bus, so that wouldn't yeah. have really worked. That's yeah, that's tough. That's that was one thing that I, I got trained out of pretty early on when mm-hmm. we were doing like 48 hour 72 film fest that sort of thing yeah you have Um, to be practical yeah and so i would have writers that would just write stuff all right so this one takes place in space all right no it doesn't (laughs) how (laughs) do we do this on the ground yeah but even then it's it's so much extra to put into that time frame like you you really need to you really need to be able to commit to it and that's kind of like the thing i was talking about for mine Mm -hmm. like it would it's a lot of 
green screen, but it would be on location green screen. So it would be pop out green screens or bringing in our own or mm. uh, and yeah, just it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It will be it will be good and possibly very painful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's just because I'm tired right now, but mm. I'm thinking of making a very simple session three. Just because I've been working on a lot of sets for session threes this last term, mm -hmm. like I think by the end of it, I've helped on three. Yeah. And then before that, I helped on three the term before or whatever. So it's really good to see how people are doing stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm like, dude, you can have such a complicated premise and set and whatever. Mm -hmm. And it looks just as good as the ones that are really simple. Right. Like really simple and well executed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm thinking, I'm mulling that over. Yeah, how to just dumb it down. Well, not even dumb it down, but, like... Just to keep it simple. Simple and smart. And focus on, like, beautiful execution mm -hmm. rather than, like, huge thing. You were working on something. I saw some Facebook shots from uh, um, somebody else's shoot that looked gorgeous that was all in, uh, um, in, in a woods. bar location with, like, a bunch of crazy lights, I think. Um at a bar, it must have been Claire's. Yeah, was I think recently? it was. I think it was Claire's. Yeah. yeah, that's Claire Noon's final project working through this, which is a music video. Okay. And that's gonna be really fun. Yeah. And doing a music video is a super interesting idea because it frees you up in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but then also constricts you in more ways. Yeah. You know, like on the one hand, sound is a lot easier. On right. the other hand, there's choreo. You know, so. Yeah. Well, and then the the other tough thing is, I think those are tougher to market. Uh, because a lot of film festivals won't take the music videos. Yeah, I guess it depends on what kind of marketing you want to do. Yeah. I recently was like, I don't even know if I want to do the whole film festival thing. Mm. I'd rather go for like the internet virality thing. Oh, really? You know? Yeah. Like, neither is the wrong path. Like, honestly, the something that's popular on the internet probably opens even more doors than festivals, I feel like. Yeah. You know, festivals like the old traditional route, but I don't know if that's still the one that makes the most sense. Yeah. yeah I had a friend in D.C. who managed to get one of his videos to go viral, but I I don't know what it actually opened up for him. I know he eventually moved to New York, but I haven't really seen yeah. much much of what's come from it. But, um, yeah, he did, he did a thing that uh, he and another friend of mine faked where it was a father and son in a car. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, um, and it's it's funny, but it's like I I'm watching it, and since I know both guys, and I know they're mm -hmm. they're too close in age to actually be father and son. <laughs> uh, the you know the kid was playing younger than he actually is. The dad was playing older yeah. than he actually is. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was I don't know. It was, I I don't know how you translate that directly. Yeah, that's true, and um, it's so hard to predict. Mm -hmm. You know, any anytime you set out and like this is gonna go viral, it's definitely not. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's never. Yeah, that's expect. there's so many businesses that have like created like viral marketing departments. Like, oh, no, yeah. you don't. <laughs> I know all about that. In a previous life, I was a like digital media internet journalist. Yeah, living in New York, and it was hell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like predicting viral trends, finding news stories before they go viral. And I was actually working on the, quote, good news team. Yeah. So it was like puppy and kitty videos. And this was like 2015 or 14, which was like the heyday of yeah. puppy and kitty videos. And uh, it was my job to, like, find them. Okay. So you, you, weren't, you were sourcing from existing content. You were trying to pull stuff in and, like, rebrand it? No, or? a little bit of both. It was the Huffington Post. And all okay. they do is aggregate. Yeah. I mean, they have 
other things, right. but mostly it's aggregation. So yeah, I was just like deep mining Reddit and wherever looking for like the next animal, cute animal video mm-hmm. that was going to pop off. It was like the most ridiculous job to be so stressed about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Vox Media was based out in DC. And so I have, I have some friends that were doing the same kind of stuff mm. for them. And uh, the ones that who enjoyed the job more were the ones that were actually producing the dedicated vox content like yeah um like i watched one the other day that was really cool it was a um analysis of uh new hip-hop like the the three beat or the 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 triplet trend that's Mm. in hip-hop now um like the kendrick lamar style versus like classic four you know four beat uh um hip-hop stuff and yeah just that somebody sat down and said i want to tell a story about this and then produced like a mini doc for it and then just throws it up on this website that already has a massive amount of yeah, readership that you know, just spreads it out like that. That would be some somewhat amazing. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's just cool to to dive into that. So you got to create some of the some of that kind of stuff too. Not so much creating more more of the sourcing and writing up. Yeah. Well, at least when I was at HuffPo, and then I left and went to like a smaller startup website mm-hmm. and got to do more creative fun stuff nice. there for a while at least. What was your submission piece when you came in? Um, the, do you mean the like work sample? Or yeah, the, like the, the work sample and actually the, the story too, or, or the, so the written piece. I submitted a sketch I wrote and shot in Australia. Mm-hmm. It's called Improv Mom. Okay. And it's about, do you know that there's this like thing women complain about a lot or used to that like men in improv scenes always force them to be either their mothers or their lovers? Okay, I haven't heard this, and but okay. Oh, it's <laughs> actually really interesting to me because it's symptomatic of like the roles women are given mm-hmm. in movies and films. It's mm-hmm. like we're always either a mother figure or like a love interest. And there was this phenomenon, at least when I was a new improviser, where you step out, you've got a great idea, and then your male scene partner's like, whatever, mom. And then you're forced mm, to play the yeah. mom again, you know? And I had a lot of female improviser friends who were expressing frustration with this. So I just wrote a sketch based off um, a reductress headline I had pitched. I contribute to reductress Mm -hmm. also. And um, it was like a woman who it's not that her teammates are forcing her to be the mom. It's that that is the only character she will play in any scene. (laughs) Like she will reject any role that is not mother. Right. And um, the backstory, I don't know if it really came across in the sketch, though, was that this was because she was playing with male improvisers so much mm-hmm. that it was like the only role she became comfortable playing was mom because they gotcha. forced her into that box. So it's just a stupid little silly sketch where, like, you know, I, I played her and I'm on stage and someone is like, Mr. President. And then she's like, that's President Mom to you <laughs> or like... <laughs> Or, like, whatever, there's, like, a scene where I'm clearly supposed to be, like, a cop. Like, my scene partner's endowed me as a cop, and I'm just, like, pantomiming breastfeeding the whole time. Like, just silly <laughs> stuff like that that kind of showed my POV of feminism yeah. and comedy. That makes sense. I When I started out the trust ball that I was talking about earlier, my, my first mm-hmm. troop, uh, it's predominantly women. Uh, it was yep. 11 person with four guys. Rare. Uh, it's and a rare then, dynamic. Yeah. And so it's it was... Uh, it was interesting because I don't, I don't think I had, in at least in that troop, those same like issues kind of coming up through through the program. Yeah. Um. But, uh. But it's interesting to see. Yeah. I, I can get that. That makes sense to see that dynamic in other shows. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. 
And not that it was like a conscious decision by mm-hmm. the male improvisers, but that being the point that it's subconscious that the only roles they like see women in are love interest or mother. Right. Um, yeah, which is part of the reason I think it's a problem that mm-hmm. so much of our media and our films and even our favorite films, some of mine, like, do not pass the Bechtel test. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because, like, women aren't given interesting roles. They're yeah. given sexy lady or mother. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I've been trying to lately, you know, write from different perspectives for that stuff. So, like, mm-hmm. the, the one I was talking about, the the art, the, the, uh, the editor, the... Mm-hmm that I'm thinking about doing for term three. I originally in my head had it as a guy and I'm like, there's no reason it has to be a guy. So yeah. I, just, I flipped it. So it's a, it's like the script that I put together. It's a woman named Beth. Like that's, Perfect. that's what I'm running with just cause it doesn't need to be. Yeah. Um, there's so many, I mean, I've had people ask me like, how do I write for women or how do I add more female characters? I'm like, you literally just change their names Yeah. from Joe to Josephine or whatever. In most cases you can get away with it. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's different if you like, want to really capture a woman's perspective or whatever but i think a lot can be accomplished from just straight up making half the characters female Mm -hmm. and getting to see female characters doing fun stuff yeah they don't get to do otherwise i think that that's they just had the diversity talk here too i think that goes Mm -hmm. down that path too because um i hate this concept of like the token black guy in in something yeah Um, there's actually there's a troop in dc uh that they're called lena dunham and it's all black improvisers oh that are all when they started, at least I don't know if this is still the case, but when they started, they were all like the token black member of their yeah. various different troops. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> and so they formed a troop together and they're hysterical. Yeah. They're so good. Um, but like that's it, that's ridiculous to me. So when they had um, uh, New Girl uh, and wound up with um, uh, forgetting Wayans and the, the the guy that plays Winston, the two of them yeah. on the show at the same time. I'm like, yes, good. Yeah. Yeah. This is more representative of like what my friend group looks yeah. like. <laughs> God, I love New Girl. Yeah. I really do. It's like my guilty pleasure. It's so well written. It's yeah. smart. It's fast. It's funny. Yeah. yeah. That's a that's another great one out there. It really is. And it has a bad rap. A lot of people are like, ugh, New Girl. But like some of the writing is so funny. Yeah. But watching it, I'm actually rewatching it right now. I realized, though, and this goes back to the gender thing, a lot of the funny jokes and lines are the men. And, like, Zoe Deschanel and the actress who plays Cece end mm-hmm. up a lot of the time playing, like, the foils to the fun or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's times when I see them, like, writing for Zoe to get to do her comedy bits, mm-hmm. but, like, really a lot of the funniest stuff comes from Schmidt or Winston, yeah. I think. Hmm. I think it's uh, probably... I think it's some of it's too is just that new angle, like n- nobody had really seen a Winston type character. I don't think God, at, at least is so funny. He's so funny, and Schmidt is amazing too. Schmidt is so funny, and they're they're unique versus I feel like I'd seen kind of Do- Zoe Deschanel do that character yeah. elsewhere beforehand. Um, yeah, my producer is a she's not a fan of most Zoe Deschanel stuff because she's she's like she plays manic pixie dream girl yeah. in like ninety percent of she things. She made it popular, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she and Natalie Portman. Yeah. Um. Although Natalie Portman, Natalie Portman also did Garden State, which I don't think she's that's manic the pixie. Um, that's you the think original so? manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. I thought. See, I always thought it was more him putting that on her like it wasn't that she was the dream girl it was to show that she is as flawed as anybody else 
and Maybe. well manic pixie dream girl is definitely flawed that's like part of her allure right she's mm-hmm. like broken inside but so like uh bubbly and outgoing and like let's have a hamster funeral and whatever like all her weird <laughs> quirks funeral. are please write something about a hamster funeral <laughs> I, maybe i will i've had a lot of pet hamsters actually yeah yeah have you had a hamster funeral in your life definitely <laughs> yeah yeah my i had a hamster in college and his name was waffles although i wanted to name him mc hamster <laughs> which i'm like wait who outvoted you from from mc hamster I think everyone <laughs> Was this a, was this like a group house owned uh, hamster? Yeah, but no, it was my hamster, but it was people were involved in the naming <laughs> in college when I lived with tons of people. He was and they great. vetoed it. They did. My uh, s- uh, some friends of ours that we used their location a lot. They have they had a a dog named um, which, oh, I'm gonna get this backwards. Spoons was the original dog. Spoons passed away, and then they got Waffles. So yeah. they have they have a little English bulldog named Waffles now. That's adorable. <laughs> so he's Waffles. I was like, oh, I miss Waffles. <laughs> have you seen that viral video of the little girl crying about Waffles? Yes. It's yeah. my favorite thing. <laughs> that one and uh, the the little girl who tries uh, um, uh, the green stuff from sushi. What am I blanking wasabi? on? Wasabi. Wasabi. She's trying wasabi for the first time. Oh, I haven't seen that. <laughs> she tries a little bit. She just looks at the camera and goes, help. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute. It's amazing. I love it. Uh, all right. Well, so any place, if people want to try and track down some of your stuff and uh, follow up and, and follow you along as you're going through now, uh, final terms, and what where, where can they find you? Um, Facebook.com slash Ohaymeliss. Okay. O-H-H-E-Y-M-E-L-I-S-S. That's my, like, comedian and journalist page. And then Twitter, which is at Ohaymeliss. Nice. Consistency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes life much Branding. easier. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and any final thoughts for anybody that may be considering a program like this or the Harold Ramis Film School? Any advice or, uh, or thoughts? You know, I'm still in the midst of it, mm-hmm. so I haven't decided yet whether or not I'm giving this a full endorsement. You know, I got to <laughs> see where I wind up. But um, no, I would just say make content. Mm-hmm. Like, if going to school like this will help you make content, which it did for me, do it. If it doesn't, make it on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the o- I think the best way to learn is by doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Melissa McGlinsey. Thank you to Melissa and to the Harold Ramis Film School and Second City staff for their help. The song on this week's episode was Start by the Great Heights Band off their new album, Rad Pop. Pre-order the album today on iTunes and Google Play before it comes out on April 20th. This show was recorded and edited by me, Tony Lazzaroni. If you want to hear more from me and my classmates, teachers, and a few special guests, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you have questions or comments, send us an email at filmstudentpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram at filmstudentpod. Filmstudentpod.com is now launched. You can see some of my work, including Craigslist, Inc., and Animoji on there. So take a look and let me know what you think. See you all next week. Class dismissed. <laughs>